God's Word. And thank you for your welcome. We're going to Mark chapter 14 today. And as I was thinking about what to say to you this morning in, in, um, here in Gildenhurk, um, I wanted not, not just to speak maybe to the church generally, but to speak to you personally. So if you're watching online right now, this is for you personally. This is for you individually and personally. This is not a word for the whole church. This is for you personally as we look at this uh, little section in the book of Mark. I guess we could say that what Mark's gospel is all about is being challenged to follow Jesus. In fact, the reason why Mark wrote his gospel, there's always a reason why the writers of the New Testament write the way they do. There's always a purpose for them writing. And the reason why Mark wrote was to persecuted Christians who were going through hard times to encourage them to keep going, to keep following Jesus. In fact, you might say that the question that Mark asks is this, is it worth it to follow Jesus? And his answer overwhelmingly is, yes, it is. That's a good question to ask for all of us. Is it worth it to follow Jesus? Is it worth it as a young person? Is it worth it as a young father or a young mother? Is it worth it as a middle-aged person? Is it worth it as an older person? As the world turns increasingly against us, is it worth it to follow Jesus? That's kind of the question that Mark asks. And the overwhelming answer is, of course it is worth it. And so therefore, in his narrative, he tells various stories to show that it is worth it in following Jesus. And one of the stories that he, he, he takes us to, I'm just going to ask you guys just to click it on manually, because I'm not sure if this is working. It's in Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. And let's read it. And I will, I will read it for you, but you can follow it on the screen as we go. And this is in the context here, getting close to the last days of Jesus' life. Now, the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. Can I just pause there for a moment before we go on with the reading? Is that not just a remarkable thing that we've just read? That... As the Passover and the festival on the unleavened bread, the two ran together, as they were getting closer, there were some people who were actually plotting to kill Jesus. They were planning a murder. Remarkable. In a religious festival, they weren't thinking good things, they were thinking bad things. They weren't thinking of the high and holy and lofty, almighty, awesome God. They were thinking, how do we get rid of this Jesus, this rabbi? So we go on in verse 2. It says, not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Part of their planning, part of their thinking, how do we do this? While he, that's Jesus, was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Now watch this. She broke the jar and she poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. 
Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you have with you always, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. Note those five words. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let's pause there for a wee second at verse 9. Do you see that that has come through? Because here we are, 2,000 years later, in a church in Belfast, talking about this lady. So when Jesus said, this, what she's done, will be talked about throughout the world, wherever the gospel is preached, that's come through. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and they promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. See how Mark constructs that story? Because he's telling you about this woman who's done a wonderful thing, and then he just throws in Judas Iscariot went to betray him. And Mark, in his literary style there, is setting up a contrast between Judas and the woman. And here we are, and these chief priests and teachers of the law, the religious leaders, are planning to kill Jesus. Why? Campbell Morgan, a Bible preacher and commentator, wrote this. He had rebuked their ideals through the whole course of his public ministry. Ideals are always closely related to conduct. Consequently, the whole tenor of his teaching had been to rebuke their conduct. Their hatred of Jesus was of one who had revealed their failure. Campbell Morgan says that the reason why the chief priests and teachers of the law were so opposed to Christ was because Christ had revealed their failure. And they didn't like that. Their pride rose up within them. They would not dare admit or accept or acknowledge that they had failed. But Jesus said they were blind leaders of the blind. And the poor people, the ordinary people, the common people, could not find hope in their need. Jesus revealed their failure. Now when Christ begins to put his finger on his his hand on someone's life, we have to be realized that when he does that, he's revealing our failure. He's showing us that we need him. And when you come become a Christian, it starts right there. It starts with an acknowledgement of your need. An acknowledgement that you've failed, that you've sinned, as the Bible calls it, fallen short of God's glory, and that you need grace. You need grace. But sadly, many people go on their way proud, and unbending and unacknowledging that they need help, and therefore they miss out on the salvation that Christ has to offer. Warren Wearsby uh, puts it like this, and uh, uh, the ugliness of their sin makes the beauty of her sacrifice even more meaningful. Mark is contrasting Judas, these deep teachers of the law, and this woman, and we see how ugly their sin was in verse 1 and 2, They are scheming and planning to arrest Jesus and kill him. And we are contrasted with the beauty 
of this woman's sacrifice. And really what Mark is doing is he's saying to the people who read his letter or his, his gospel account and the people like you and me, what side are you on? What side are you on? Are you on the side of the chief priest who teaches the law who would not accept Christ? Are you on the side of Judas who betrayed him? Or are you on the side of this woman who gives her total devotion to the Savior? So notice, first of all, her extravagant devotion here. She comes into this room and she uh, uh, comes right into the, 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 the place here where Jesus is. And she comes and she has this beautiful jar of perfume, this beautiful jar of ointment. And he's reclining at the table. He's in the home of Simon the leper. It's described here as a very expensive perfume. In fact, verse 5 says it could have been sold for more than a year's wages. Wow. This was a remarkable legacy that she has here. I don't know where she got it from. I don't know if it was handed down through her family. But in this moment, she was prepared to give it to Jesus. I don't know if some of you older folks remember an advert that used to be on television where you'd have a man who would jump off a cliff, he'd have a knife in his, uh, in his teeth and he would be swimming through shark-infested waters and, and then he would climb a mountain and he would break through several rows of, of people and he would go into a castle and he'd climb up and he'd go into a window and he would leave a little box of milk tray for his true love. Do you remember that? And the strap line was always, all because... What is it? The lady. See, you all remember that, okay? And the, the idea was that when you love someone, you will go to all sorts of lengths for them. The language of love is lavishness. She broke this jar. And it, it made me think, really, when was the last time I did anything for Jesus that was out of the ordinary? When was the last time I went beyond the ordinary service to do something truly extraordinary. How is my devotion measured? Is it measured in little small steps? Or is it just extravagant? Am I prepared to make the sacrifices because of my love for Jesus that the milk tray man was prepared to make to just give his true love a simple little box of chocolate? This perfume was incredibly expensive, and yet she gave it to Jesus. Wow, it's amazing. It's amazing. And immediately, of course, people start to react against that, as we'll see in a moment. Here's what Mark is saying. Judas gave up Jesus for money, but she gave up money for Jesus. Judas gave up Jesus for money. But she gave up money for Jesus. That's her extravagant devotion. But notice, secondly, the extreme reaction here. Immediately, it says, verse 4, some of those present were saying indignantly, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. There was no sense of those who were present there of, 
patting on the back, saying, well done, that's a wonderful gift you've given. Rather, they began to find reasons why she shouldn't have done it. And they started to say, you know what, we could have sold that, we could have had a, a whole bundle of money, we could have given that money to the poor. Look at these poor people out there, that's such a waste. You've just splashed that all around the feet of Jesus. Why would you have done that, etc., etc., etc.? In fact, if you look at verse 4, it says, why this waste? In fact, the word that, that they used there was, was a stronger word than waste. It's a, it's a Greek word. It may, it's a Greek word, apalaya. It really means destruction, annihilation. Why this annihilation of this? In fact, doesn't verse 4 said that they were saying this indignantly to one another? Now remember, Christ is in the midst of them. And yet they're still finding a way to be indignant and harsh and rebuking her. That's their extreme reaction. That's the reaction of a hard heart. In fact, it says, verse 7, they rebuked her harshly. Can you imagine this woman with that jar of perfume? Expensive, beautiful, costly, breaks it, gives it to Jesus as an act of incredible worship, and that's the reaction she has to face. Sometimes, when you want to serve the Lord, and you want to go more than the ordinary devotion of other people, you will meet with an extreme reaction. But here's what I want to land on this morning, not just for extravagant devotion, and the extreme uh, reaction here. But here's what I want us to land on this morning, this excellent description of her. This excellent description. Look how Jesus steps into the conversation in verse 6. This is the first thing he's got to say on this incident. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll have with you always, and you can help them any time you want, but you'll not always with me. Listen to this, verse 8. She did what she could. I love those five words. She did what she could. Because it, it, it kind of reminds us of how in life all we can do is do what we can do with what we've got. Now, I know during the pandemic, many people have just been trying to do what they can with what they've got. Some people have found a whole ministry just in phoning people and texting people and sending WhatsApp messages to people, which has been an incredible blessing. They've got a phone. They've used it for the kingdom. They've used it for Christ. She did what she could. And right the way through the Bible, you find examples of this. For example, what about Rahab? Do you know the story of Rahab in the book of Judges and how the, the spies turned up? And Rahab couldn't do much, but she could look after the spies. She let the spies escape. She did what she could. Or what about the Naaman, uh, the, the uh, soldier and his little servant girl? Do you remember her? And Naaman had leprosy and he didn't know what to do. And the servant girl said, well, I, I know, I know there's, a, there's a prophet and why don't you go to him and he will tell you what you should do. And she didn't have much going for her in life, but she was able to do what she could. There was a, a lady once lived across 
uh, across the road from a, a university. And she was part of that sort of student uh, land that, that she lived in. And she used to watch the students every day, hundreds of them, thousands of them, making their way to and from class, passing her door, going about their business. And she thought, what can I do? I can't. I'm an, an older person. I can't just turn up at the student gates and hand out literature or whatever. So she thought, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God will move in that university and that God will speak to one person and that that one person will come to Christ and that that one person will do something remarkable for the kingdom. That was her prayer. In that university was a, a man called George Berver, whom you may have heard. And George Berber was not a believer. But through her prayers and through the witness of others, George Berber came to Christ. And George Berber went on uh, the following summer to, to, to get a few of his Christian friends together in a battered old van and travel across the border into Mexico to hand out Christian leaflets to Mexicans. It was a battered old van. They didn't have anything apart from a handful of leaflets in this old bus. And that was the start of what we now know today as Operation Mobilization, which ministers in hundreds of countries in the world. You will have heard of that ministry. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people across the world have come to Christ. I love the story of when they, they, they were banged the boat, the first boat uh, ship. You know, the Logos, wasn't it? The first one. And, and they spread a map of the world out on the table and they saw that most of the world was covered in water. And George Berber says, I think we should buy a ship. Imagine. Imagine taking that to the deacons meeting or the elders meeting. What are you, crazy? And they bought the ship. George Berber described it as one big floating rust bucket. But it went from port to port to port to port to port to port to port just ministering Jesus. And the successor of that ship, of course, is still carrying on that work to this very, very day. I'm sure many of you have visited either of the uh, OM ships when they've been in Belfast. Where did it start? It started with somebody who did what she could. But when I started in ministry, my first church was in Limerick uh, in the Republic of Ireland. I went there as just nine nine people in membership of the church. We had 11 or 12 on a Sunday, probably half of what we've got here this morning. And most of those folks were elderly. And I was, I was young, you know, I was in my 20s. And I wanted to see the kingdom built and I wanted to see Jesus exalted in the city of Limerick. And I, I looked around and I said, Lord, I don't know how we can build the church with these people. I need you to do something special. And the Lord brought a man to us very quickly who had been a taxi driver in the city of Limerick. And one day he was sitting and in his taxi and he looked across the road and he saw a, a bookshop. It wasn't a Christian bookshop. And for some reason he went and bought a Bible in the bookshop. He had never read the Bible in his life. He brought it home. He read it. He came to Christ. He thought he was the only Christian in Ireland. And then one day he was walking past our church building and he saw the sign advertising a Bible study and a prayer meeting. He thought, hallelujah, there are others here. There are other Christians here in this country. And he came in on our Wednesday night Bible study. I thought, he'll not stay. We're only a small group of people. There's nothing dramatic or exciting or uh, 
you know, attractive about having a small group of people to pray and read the Bible. But he did stay. He did stay. He did stay. And he had a taxi. And he was a taxi driver. And he did what he could. Because he started to talk to others who got into his taxi. In the course of the conversation, he said, I'll tell you what's happened to me. This is an amazing story. And he did what he could. We had another lady in the congregation, an elderly lady. And she, she one day realized that Limerick wasn't far away from Shannon Airport. But Shannon Airport in those days was one of the hubs for the Russian airline Aeroflot. So Aeroflot would often land planes in Shannon Airport. And the pilots and the cabin crew would get off. And sometimes they would have a whole day in Limerick City, which was the nearest city to Shannon. So they'd come into Limerick to do some shopping and to look around. And this elderly lady in our congregation, her name was June, started to think, is there something I can do here? And so she sent off to Scripture Gift Mission and she asked for some leaflets in Russian. She didn't speak a word of Russian. And she would just put these leaflets in her handbag and she would just toodle off on the bus into the city centre and she would go to Dunn's stores where the Russian air uh, crew shopped more than any other shop, believe it or not, and she would come alongside them and she would open her handbag and though she couldn't speak a word of language, she would take out the little leaflet, she would just show it to them like this. <laughs> they would recognize their language and of course they would take it. And I thought, Jude, that is amazing. That is amazing. You'll never be a preacher. You'll never be a quote-unquote missionary. But you're doing what you can. And I want to challenge you this morning, as this lady did, to do what you can. The Lord Jesus just said of her those five words, she did what she could. A couple of years after I left Limerick, June passed away. She went to be with Christ. And they invited me, the church there very graciously invited me to travel back to Limerick to speak at her funeral service. Do you know what text I took for her funeral service? She did what she could. She did what she could. And here we find this woman, this excellent description that the Lord Jesus makes of her. Notice what he says here in verse she poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. That's why she gave it to him. She was preparing his body for burial. And I don't know, maybe this is a little bit of a sanctified imagination here, but this is expensive perfume. And so I'm wondering if this is true, that everywhere he went, over the next 48 hours, the aroma of the perfume would linger. So as he goes to uh, Gethsemane, and as he goes to Golgotha, and as he goes to Pilate's Judgment Hall, and the cross, he goes to those places. The perfume is kind of lingering in the air. And so it hung in the air as he hung on the cross. You see, it's really expensive perfume, so even through the beatings and the mocking and the abuse that the Lord Jesus had to take. Perhaps, perhaps, just in that moment, they just got a little scent 
of the perfume that days before she had poured onto Christ. And in the ugliness and the viciousness and the disgust of the cross, something of the beauty of this woman's sacrifice carries on. And Christ hung on that cross for you and for me. His body was broken. His his life was given up freely. Nobody takes it from me, he said. I give it up freely for you. He's suspended between heaven and earth, between the place where God dwells and the place where man dwells, and he made reconciliation for us. And I don't know about you, whether you're in the building physically or watching this online or watching it or listening to it later, but have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sin and trusted him? Has he become your saviour, your Lord and your friend? It's quite possible to be religious as these people were and miss it. It's quite possible to have been brought up with a set of religious values as these people had and yet miss it. It's quite possible to be in his company as Judas was and yet end up on the wrong side of it. And when we think about Jesus hanging on the cross and we ask ourselves the question, was it worth it for what that lady did? And Mark asked the question, is it worth it to follow Jesus? Yes, it is. Because here's the reality of it. When we come to understand the suffering mission of Jesus, we will give our all for it. And sadly, even many who claim to follow him don't understand that this demands everything. She had that wonderful perfume. She gave it. Those around her went, oh, we're not sure if you should do that or not. How often when we want to give our lives this mission of Jesus, do we meet an extreme reaction? So let me ask you this question. Do you get it? One of my heroes is Jim Elliott. It's good to have heroes, isn't it? It's good to have people that you think, I wish I could be like that. That's a good thing. Young people have heroes. Have proper heroes. Footballers will let you down. They're not good heroes. Have heroes. People that go, I wish I could be like that. Jim Elliott who gave his life at the age of 28 years of age on the, banks of an Oka, on the banks of an Ecuadorian river trying to reach a tribe called the Ocas with the gospel. And him and his four friends were martyred that day by those people. And Jim Elliot had written in his diary, he's no fool, who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Many people would have said of this perfume, what a waste. Many people might have said of Jim Elliot's life, what a waste. He could have been a big corporate lawyer one day. But is it a waste? Was it a waste? He got it. He realized that this Jesus is worth following. And that when you understand the suffering mission of Jesus, it's worth giving everything for. Let me just pray for you as we conclude. God bless you folks in Gilnahurt and may the Lord take his word and write it onto your life. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living. Thank you that it is eternal. Thank you, Lord, that on this Sunday morning we can give some of our time to thinking about it. 
through reflecting on it. We're taking in our mind's eye, Lord, to this, this woman, this lady called Mary, in that room that night. And we see her extravagant devotion. And then we see the extreme reaction of people around her. But do you hear the words of the Lord Jesus? She did what she could. Lord, that's a challenge to me. Uh, can I do what I can with what I've got? To serve and to follow you and to make a difference in this world. Lord, take your word, I pray. Write it in our hearts and lives for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.